Hey, 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 Closet Busters, come on and gather around. It's time once again to kick down those closet doors of life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens, bold move expert and coming out coach, and I'm going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloseted. So come on, grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step in to living your truth as we explore more stories, tips, and tricks for living your life uncloseted. Now let's get to the show. Hey, Closet Busters and Bold Move Makers, it is time once again for Life Uncloseted. I'm your host, Rick Clemens, and today we've got a secret, but we're not going to tell anybody about this because... It could be touchy, it could be dicey, it could be, oh, fuck, it could be many, many, many things. But sometimes you just got to say, fuck it, I'm going to do what I got to do for me because I know in the end it's going to be good for me and other people and for moving life forward. And I just got to tell you, this closet story is, well, it's with a good friend of mine, a gal I love dearly, a gal that I totally respect in my world of podcasting, but that's not the story we're going to tell. There's something else we're going to talk about because she's just wonderful, infectious with her smile. She's got great energy. She makes me laugh and she comes from the heart. And for all you serial daters out there, want to be romantics and those who really want to put the ring on that finger and say yes to the dress or the text, well, you're in for a treat today because we're not going to let the past hold us back. And we're not going to keep her in the closet any longer, except what's so freaking funny is she's in a closet, I'm in a closet. As we record this podcast, welcome to the show, my friend Ramona Rice. I can't wait to share you with everybody. Hi, Rick. How are you? I'm good. Can you tell I'm excited? Or actually, okay, I have to confess, I just woke up for a nap. So I have a... <laughs> Uh, yeah. The things that and, we podcasters do, right? Yes, and it's funny because the closet I'm kind of known for it in podcasting. In fact, so much so that this closet, uh, my mom actually built me a desk in here, a proper desk, so I could podcast properly. Well, and I'm funny. about to move, but I get to still access because it's in her house, so I get access to the closet still. So very, very cool. Yes, so, yes. The closets for those of you who do not record podcasts, but if you ever think about doing it, you just need to a closet in your house and a few other things that a closet is really helpful because it cuts down on the echoing. You can go hide and people don't know what you're up to. And you know, it's just, it's all sorts of stuff, but plus your closet is full of wine, which is fantastic. Mine is fabulous because it is full of wine. Oh my gosh. I think you're doing this right. I am. Well, what I usually say is, you know what? If the interview's really going bad, I have my wine corker here and and open the bottle, you know, because fabulous. Fantastic. Yeah. So boy, we, we got an interesting little chat we're about to dive into here. Um, and I don't want to spoil it because I think it's a beautiful story. Number one, mm-hmm. even though there's some other things about it that aren't, but it's truly about stepping in and saying, I got to do some stuff because I got to do it. I got to be me. I got to go live my life, so to speak. And, um, I guess that's kind of where it starts, right? About moving forward and saying, "Uh huh, I'm going to do this." But yes, yeah, I'm going to show everybody what you're doing right out the gate. So um, I'm just going to leave it at that. And <laughs> I know listeners are going, "Okay, are they ever going to tell us what this is really about?" Trust me, stay tuned. It's coming, man. So let's start right at the beginning. There was a there was a little bit of Ramona who said, "I." 
I, I got to go do something, but I don't know that it's the best thing for other people to know that I'm doing it. Yeah, it was it was a pretty big thing just because um, the timing of it, because for a lot of people, me doing what I did as fast as I did it um, would have shocked people. It did shock people. Um, and not the people that were really close to me. I will say that flat out the gate before revealing what happened and everything that the people who truly love me and support me and my family were like, you know, and the people who were most affected by this yeah. were, were totally, they weren't necessarily like giddy, like hooray, but they certainly were not judgmental or yeah. if they were judgmental, they kept it to themselves. Um, so interesting. Yeah. The first parallel to a coming out of the closet story if you're coming out as gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, it's kind of the same thing. There's going to be some people who are like, okay, raha, yeah, here we go. And then others are going to be, okay, that's good, but just let me kind of be with this. And then there's going to be those that are like, what do the fuck do you think you're doing? Yeah. And for my particular coming out story, many people assume they know what they would do in the situation. Mm -hmm. I don't think, because I'm a heterosexual woman, I have never put myself in the position because my sister actually is a lesbian and she came out to me when she was 16 and I kind of laughed at her and said, we've all known. Right. We love you. Let's get on with this. But she's kind of, a, she sometimes gets upset that she didn't have like, you know, a turbulent, like, you know, drama. She just, we were just like, Rachel, this is you. It's cool. Yeah. You do you, boo. Um, but with this, a lot of people assume they know how they would react. They know what's expected. There's been a stereotype put out there. And until you go through something like I've gone through, you, you have no clue. But the minute you do, it's weird. You recognize people. It's kind of like, like there's a gaydar in the world. It's like a radar. You, you can find the people who have been affected by this or love someone who's been affected by this. So, so that's what's interesting about the whole experience. And I never thought in my lifetime that I would have, because I've always been Rick, an open person. Like I just, I'm like, look, this is who I am. This is how I was raised. If you like me, great. If you don't, well, fuck you. That's always been my attitude. It has served me well in my life. And this, this, you know, period of when this happened, it, it knocked me down some pegs a lot. Well, as it would most normal breathing yeah beings, to quite on i mean if you if it didn't then it'd be like okay well then i would think there was something really wrong yeah and i think like a lot of people who have something that they're keeping a secret from the majority of of people is that it's almost like you're one person over here i almost became like a split personality i was this person it, it was just different compartments mm -hmm. and it's taken me a long time and a lot of therapy to kind of blend them back together and it's just been recently honestly in the last two months and i'm kind of glad we haven't been able to have this chat until recently that i've kind of been able to merge everything together and i feel like a complete person again and not which just again, segmented. Yeah, which again is so similar to some, and we are going to get to this, folks, but there's a point for us getting to this because there's so much parallels here. For many people who are in the closet in their sexuality, there is this splurt, splurt. <laughs> there's that too. <laughs> there's this split personality stuff that shows up because in these crowds, we show up this way. And then in these crowds over here, we show up this way. And there may be many different crowds. I know when I was going through my coming out journey, there was the crowds I felt like I could be kind of brash and kind of, you know, saying things around people that just kind of threw stuff out there that made him question, okay, I thought this guy was 
heterosexual, but maybe he's not. And then there was the crowd where I showed up totally heterosexual, even though there were, there were little fringe things that I did that most people probably thought, okay, well, we think he's heterosexual, but we're not a hundred percent sure, but overall he is. And then there was the crowd that I could actually kind of like truly be myself with, who was my little inner circle of, okay, I trust you enough that this is who I really am, you know? So it's really a similar parallel to what you're about to share with us. Yeah, it is. And and it's weird because um, there's actually a community surrounding what I've been through. And it's almost weird. Like you identify someone who's experienced that immediately. You go, you're one of those. Yeah. You're like me. Yeah. You have this title. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah. title is? I'm a widow. So um, February 24, 2016, my husband at the age of 37 collapsed on the floor um, having a massive, massive stroke and um, rushed to the hospital. And he had been having um, health problems before. So he had what they considered a mini stroke, which by the way, guys, if you have high blood pressure, this is very important for everybody listening. Take care of it because it will kill you. Um, it killed my husband and uh, my children's father. Um, they were, God, how old were they? Um, seven and nine when he died. And so within eight hours, I became a widow. And becoming a widow is the craziest thing because it's literally unceremonious. You literally have a husband or, or a spouse or a partner now. You know, you have a wife or a husband and then suddenly they're gone. And it's like, it's just, it's just like, it's severed. It's immediately done. And you become this like thing and this thing, like, like a big W and you are going through so much stuff that, and it's so complicated because there's just, especially when it's that young. Um, like I look at right now when we're recording this is a couple days after Barbara Bush's funeral and I look at her husband and he's being hospitalized right now. And that doesn't surprise me because they've been together so long that, you know, at that point though, it's almost sweet in a way. But for me, there was a lot of unfinished business and things left unsaid and things left to do and to, um, you know, well, you, finish. You, you were both in your 30s when this happened, right? Yeah, I was 35. Yeah. So, and you have children. And even though we all know life is precious and fleeting, we just kind of get up each day and go, okay, well, let's see. Um, oh, tonight, love. We may go to the movies or I may rent Redbox. We don't think about this and then, boom, it happens. Yeah, I call it like the before and after. There's a definite moment that like, I remember when I had to tell the kids because no one else could tell them. I had to be the one to tell them. And I remember their faces right before I tell them that that's the one clear image I have of that day is, is their faces and then the immediacy afterwards when it's sunk in. And that look, and I, it just, you know, that's something that until you've gone through something that you, you have no idea the depths of it and, and Hollywood and, and pop, pop culture. And this is what I meant by people assume they know yeah. you, we watch shows like, I hate the show. This is us. I think it's, I'm sure it's a great show. I'm sure people love it. I'm sure it's well acted and all the accolades. Fine. I will never ever watch that show because all I see on Facebook sometimes is how sad people are about a freaking fictional character and all i want to do is just bitch slap them and go shut the fuck up you have no clue mm -hmm. um you know so that's the stuff still i'm dealing with you know i can't watch like certain shows so i can't glad, do that yeah i'm so glad you shared that not necessarily about this is us but that here's the thing that i learned the hard way um 
And it's really hard for me to even talk about it right now because it brings back so many memories. <clears throat> but I remember many times saying to my wife, I completely understand how you're feeling, which is complete bullshit. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot completely understand how she was feeling because I'm not her. And when I hear somebody say, oh, I really understand how they're feeling. Okay, that's just one of those throw out things we say, but you're not them. I can't understand, even if I had become a widow myself, there's still only a certain layer of understanding how you feel that I can feel. And I think this is the thing that when we all, you know, when I'm working with my clients and, and I will never, in fact, I will never say that to a client. I understand how you feel because it gives a false sense of security or it pushes a trigger. Mm -hmm. And I wish people would realize, yes, that's one of those social construct sort of phrases we're kind of inbred to say, which it's nice in its own way, but make sure when you say it, maybe deliver it slightly different as I think I feel, understand how you feel, but I'm quite sure I don't completely understand how you feel. Now that's a whole different way of saying it. Yeah, it really is. Or other things like when you're dealing with someone in true, what I call active grief, like right now I'm no longer in active grief where literally every day I'm having emotional triggers on it. I still get triggered. I mean, that, that just is going to happen forever. But I'm no longer active. But with someone in active grief, the worst thing you can say is, how are you doing? What I like to ask people to tell me is, how are you doing today? How are you doing this morning? How are you doing right now? Because right now I may actually have some pockets of joy. I think that's what people don't realize with grief is that you can still have pockets of joy even while he was, um, I've never told the story, even while he was laying there dying and I'm about to, and, and, and they took off the respirator, I had to sign the papers to not, you know, to take them off life support. And they take out the tubes. Well, he sounded like he was snoring. And so I was there with my pastor and my mother. And I would never have done this with my mother in the room, who I'm very close to, um, his mother. But I was there and I'm like, ha, I have proof now that you snore. A proof, undeniable proof. And so even at, seriously, the lowest moment, he's literally, he was probably 90 minutes away from being dead. I am making a joke. So, you know, you can find pockets of joy with the most tragic, awful situations. It just depends how people react, but that's the kind of stuff people don't. So, you know, grief in itself is hard. Yeah. It's up for a really great question. Yeah. It's a very evolved question, but, um, and I can't think of the gal's name who does these greeting cards. I saw her at world domination summit last year and she does this, these kind of sarcastic greeting cards that just fit what you're talking about. But you get, you know, just the fact of saying, I, I, I now can prove that you snored is such a joyous thing. So why not ask the question? So what's a pocket of joy you experienced today? What's a joyful thing that you're taking out of today's experience? Or are you having any joy today that you could share? I mean, these are the questions we don't, we don't construct because we're so used to the trite, what we know to say stuff. I call it the head tilt and then the, um, um, how are you doing? How yeah. are the kids? Yeah. Um, you know, and I feel, you know, if a worse for it is my sister-in-law. People totally forget about her. They focus on his mom. They focus on the kids. They focus on me. They never ask how she's doing. And like, she lost her brother. I mean, that's irreplaceable, you know? And so, so the whole thing is just messed up. Our whole like way of handling grief and widows and everything, because on the one hand, they want you to stay like widowing forever yeah. where you're like the little lady was like grief and oh, in the veil and you know, the way to do it. And then they also want you to move on because they don't want to talk about more because it bums them out. Right. So you're either you're either at one point moving too fast or you're moving too slow. There's never a right moment. Um, 
and you learn very quickly if you have it. Thank God I had enough fortitude where I just basically said, fuck it. <laughs> and I said, this is me. But I really didn't do that. I thought I was doing that in many different ways. But in a lot of ways, I was hiding a lot of the things I was doing because I felt guilt. I felt ashamed. I, you know, when people did find out there was judgment and it was awful, like it sent me to tears. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I look back on a time period and now I see just how broken I was. So but I think that's the key is, God, this is so parallel. So many things you're saying. I'm so glad we're doing this one. Because yeah. <laughs> Yay. It's like totally in alignment. I went through so much guilt and shame. The moment I came out and like, okay, I know I just fucked up a whole lot of lives. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, okay, I can only carry this guilt and shame for so long. I can't keep doing this. And when I think that's when we get to the point where we realize, as you just said so eloquently, we see how broken we were. And that's the key word, were. Now we can unbreak and move forward. Yeah. And we unleash the guilt. And we, un I mean, we don't just throw it out the window. <laughs> oh. It doesn't happen overnight, folks. Trust both of us. You don't just go, okay, fuck it. I'm done being, feeling guilt and shame because I screwed around and I played with men and all this stuff. I'm going to be done, you know, feeling how I feel about my husband who's no longer with me. It doesn't happen overnight, but there is something that I believe just kind of, it moves you. It takes mm -hmm. you to a different space of, okay, this isn't healthy. This isn't me in my best. And then you start to move. That's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, and it took a really long time, longer than I expected. Um, the second year grief was actually harder. And a lot of people don't know that. Um, you know, and you actually saw me this, during the second year grief. And, you know, and we'll get into why I should have been super happy and everything. So, But that's something you just said too is, you should have been happy because there's probably a lot of should have starting to be thrown at you. Mm -hmm. Should we just move on? Can't we quit just talking about this? All this stuff starts to happen. And I think it was about year. And I know my ex-wife would probably say, no, it wasn't, but I, I think it was about year three or four before I really started to feel, okay, I got to move on. And I was already in my relationship that I'm in now. Yeah. And there was still stuff that would come up. And he, if you ask my husband, he'd say, oh yeah, there was still grief and shame and stuff that would come up and, you know, all this sort of stuff because I was getting handed a lot of should have. Well, you mm -hmm. should have already done this by now. You should have been. And the thing is, is what we're both talking about is purely the, it's the same grief. It's the same stages of grief. You lose a marriage. You come out of the closet. People you thought they knew who you were. Now they don't. So then you lose trust, you lose honesty, you lose integrity. I know that's not like the death you're hearing about Ramon and her husband, but it is a death. It is truly a death. Oh, no, I totally get it because what people don't realize is that after, you know, he died, and this is very similar, like because your marriage ended, like your identity changed completely overnight. So all of a sudden I no longer had the person, I no longer had my automatic plus one. I no longer had, like, for example, we are, I'm a huge um college football basketball fan i went to the university of virginia we have season we had season tickets to uva football and um i thought that many people from that group were amazingly supportive like i like some of my best friends and they drove the many hours because we lived three hours away from from where the college is to yeah. come to the funeral and all 
but then a, a pocket of them turned real nasty about September, October, because they were tired of the Widow Act. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they were tired of the Widow Act, and so I'll announce what I kept in the closet for so long, is that I chose to date right away. And a lot of people didn't understand that. The reason I decided to date right away is because the last three years of my marriage, my husband and I's marriage, it just wasn't working. And we were finding lots of different ways. And, and I have a theory, especially for women, and I know men do this too, but you know, I married him at the age of 25, met him when I was 21. You know, We had been together 14 years or, or so. You know, It would have been our 10th wedding anniversary. People change a lot during that time. And I felt at the time he wasn't keeping up. Um, with a lot of therapy now, I realized he wasn't keeping up, but I also wasn't helping him out to keep up as much as, you know, so I'm able to say that now with, without any grief or any remorse, just say that was just the matter of factness of it. And that's really, it was really hard to do that. But I really wanted to prove to the world that I was fine. So I went on Tinder legitimately a month after his funeral and popped my profile in and started swiping. But here's something I want to say. Yes, I'm going to say in defense because there's probably going to be some people who will listen to this and judge that. And then there's probably going to be a whole lot of people who go, okay, I'm not the only one. Yeah. (laughs) Because you started dating. But there's so many people that I work with in this work, whether it's, you know, all the different coming out things I do, but I'm going to go specifically towards the coming out sexuality thing whose marriages fucking suck. And not just because of the sexual orientation thing. There is no sex happening. There is no intimacy. There's no agreement on how to handle finances. There's, you know, no getting along with in-laws. I mean, there's so much stuff. And it just, and I was just talking to someone about this today. And the thing that then suddenly just kind of rises to the surface because it's been being hidden is the sexuality piece. And then suddenly that's the, the catalyst. And it's so interesting because that catalyst is huge. It's like the biggie. You, don't, you know, most people don't go, okay, well, we can't agree on finances, so let's get a divorce. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know that happens too. But it's like the sexuality thing is the biggie when all along, I mean, I have a client that I'm working with right now who hasn't slept in the bedroom in three years. Mm-hmm. Has been sleeping on a couch. Yeah. This is not the only issue. Yeah, I I, I, I love the word intimacy. I think is the key because you know when you are in a relationship that fills that intimacy role, you can because that's how so many like you know people. I have several friends who are transgendered who are going through change and but they were in same sex couples same-sex partnerships beforehand well people wonder well how do they stay together because they're already they have the intimacy yeah. it's not about the sex sex is just one part of intimacy and that was what was lacking in my marriage ultimately and that was both my fault and his fault mm-hmm. and I can say that now and that's what I was craving and I had what I call Rick my slutty summer mm-hmm. and I said you know what I am 35 I turned 36 that same year and I said it and I had a very very slutty summer um, and I it's funny I actually did a podcast kind of about it um, it was a short-run podcast called we should not be friends it's still on if people want to listen it's very funny and it was with my friend Tim who originally when we started the show Rick he was single in Atlanta and it was supposed to be about me as a mother of two and a wife ju- talking about his single life well it switched very quickly because he got into a very serious relationship and all of a sudden it was me going on dates and all and you know 
And I did. I just let loose because I said I just wanted to feel anything other than the sadness and the emptiness of my life. That that ultimately I can now look at that and see that's really what I was doing. That I wasn't really actively looking for a partner or a dad or for my kids or anything like that. I was just looking for just somebody who didn't know me as his wife and his widow to just basically for a couple hours and I would literally it was like a split personality. You see the way I can describe it where when I was with these men, I was like, you know what? I can be this woman. And this woman is, is, doesn't, isn't affected by her husband. It's deaf. But. Oh, but she was. <laughs> it is also the thing that taught you what you needed to be taught and open you up. And as hard as it is, for us to accept some of these things, and especially when people start looking down their freaking noses at us and go, I mean, I have said numerous times on this podcast and I admit to it, I was more than just a slutty summer. <laughs> I was a slutty 13 year relationship. And I'm not proud of that. Right. There's no stretch of the imagination. I'm proud of that. It's the only thing that kept me alive because I had so many screwed up ideas in my head that you can't be gay. This is not right. This is not what God wants. This is not how you're supposed to show up in society. You can't be a father and be all these things that just rattled around in my head. And that gets pisses me off when people are like, oh, I can't believe you did that. I did it. Yes. But there's so much more that caused me to do it than just me. And this is what I think is so important when people hear these kind of stories. And like your story is think about the judgment you're throwing. Because every one of us has something that somebody could throw just as much judgment at for something they've done. And people Absolutely. forget that. Absolutely. And not only that, but it was just, and what I mean by keeping the closet was only a handful of friends actually knew. The one thing I did do that I was really proud of myself was when I decided to go ahead and start dating, I went to my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law. We are very, very close because it's important for me, for my children and for me to have a relationship with them because they are my family. It does not matter that my husband died. They are my family. And so I went to them and said, look, I am, I'm lonely. I will be going out with men. I'm not asking permission. I'm just letting you know. So in case you happen to run into me when I'm out and about, it's not a shock. Or if somebody comes back to you and says something because I, and I, I'm like, and I never want the kids to have to lie to you. That was always my biggest thing is that I never wanted any part of the kids to have to keep anything from their family because that's wrong. So those other than that, those are the only people that I truly cared about. And for the most part, people who found out were somewhat fine because what I found discovered was, is that while you, if you are actively grieving somebody, you remember, you know how long it's been, but when you're kind of like around it, you're kind of like, Oh yeah, that happened. That seems so long ago. Cause we're able to walk away from it quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So seems so long ago. And you know, here's the irony it can seem so long ago. And then one day you go, Oh my God, that seems like it was just yesterday too. Yeah. I mean, I am. So next year, actually new year's Eve, be the new year's Eve this year. Yeah. New year's Eve this year. So 1999 is when I came out. So literally 1999 when everything turns, so be this year, next year, whatever it is, it will be 20 years yet. There are days that it's like, I think it just happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. 
And to be able to even manage those things, I don't know if people really get it sometimes how much when those little triggers hit, it can be almost as much as when the real thing was happening. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And, and I had a lot of triggers at the beginning, even going out um, with men. Like, you know, there were times where I would just um, leave a guy in the middle of a date and not, not even bother. I felt really uncomfortable sometimes even telling them I was a widow. Some of those guys judged me, which was hilarious to me. I'm going, really? <laughs> You're going to judge me? Fine. Um, I always picked the wrong guy and I never was that girl before. But again, when I look back, it's like broken people attract broken people. So you cannot be in a healthy functional relationship if you are, um, broken. And so from April through October, it was just a string of guys, some of them on again, off again. Um, there was one that was just, that was actually kind of normal. I knew that he was only there for like a short period of time training and he kind of leveled me out a little bit because we knew what the deal was and he was going for divorce. I was obviously going this. And I think we helped each other to be perfectly honest, but most of them were just like, they, they just, they didn't leave any room for James. Mm-hmm my husband. And so, you know, that, that's what happened. So, uh, you know, and it was just complicated and weird. And then unexpectedly, um, I swipe right on the right guy. (laughs) Um, November 1st, um, 2016. So nine months after, um, my husband's funeral or some of that, I have to look and say, uh, like eight or nine months, whatever it was. Um, I happened to swipe right at this guy. And the only reason I did it was because in his profile, um, he put, he teaches adulting to middle schoolers. And I wanted to know what that meant. Mm. Um, he was kind of goofy looking, um, a little bit overweight and, uh, and totally not my type at all. And um, he took him a couple of days to respond to me. And I never messaged guys on Tinder. I was that girl that um, would always wait for the guy to message her. I'm like, no, no, no. I know that I'm amazing. So you had to message me. But I really wanted to know what he was and um, what was up with that. Took him a couple of days. And then the night we had our first date, I was actually supposed to have a hookup with, with one of my regular study guys. And he bailed on me. And so we kind of chatted. He goes, well, if you're not doing anything, come out to this improv show. And I did that and he didn't do any of the things those guys did. Didn't try to put any moves on me, was just charming, paid for the meal and the, uh, paid for the beers at the theater. And he seemed more into the theater than me, which was weird. But, you know, we kept talking and then he invited me out to sushi and I was smitten and I was like, oh yeah, that's what this feels like. Now, I want to be really clear to the audience. This was great and I was super flattered with this guy. It was still a long road ahead. But the difference was, is that, so, um, is that he, um, is actually trained in improvisation and anybody who's ever taken an improv class, one of the best rules is that you have to yield to the energy that's in the room, like in the scene, and you have to do something called yes and. So Rick, if I, if we're on stage together and I say, oh my gosh, you're the most beautiful mermaid in the world, you would have to go, yes, I am the most beautiful mermaid in the world. There's no negating. And so what Evan did was, that's, that's his name, he yes and it my life. Instead of saying, no, we're not going to deal with James, he's like, no, we're going to just leave the room for James that you need, and I'm just going to hang out here. He's the only guy I ever introduced the kids to. None of the, the kids didn't meet any of the other guys. In fact, on the um, podcast show, we just called them Adams. They just had adjectives like hot historian Adam. He was really hot. Um, <laughs> hot historian Adam. There was um, Viking Adam. There was political Adam. Oh, there were so many Adams. I, 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 funny Adam. 
I'm actually still friends with today. And that's the only one that survived. Um, interesting is you just yeah. brought this up twice and I want to make sure that people really capture this. Anybody who doesn't make room for your past. And I'm going to put my judgment on this one is actually probably somebody who's not really going to make room for you. I had this happen over and over and over again. And a couple of times I got sucked into it right after I came out with guys who are like, okay, I'll make room for your kids, but I won't make room for your ex-wife. And then one actually told me exactly everything I should do to make sure she doesn't screw me. And she wasn't going to screw me because we'd kind of already worked through that, but because he'd been screwed so bad by his ex-wife, he was convinced that every ex-wife was going to screw everybody. And it's amazing what happens when you meet the person who says, okay, as you said, yes, you're divorced and we're going to leave room for X mm -hmm. because yeah. that's a person who really gets it. And my husband was one who I wasn't sure that was going to happen until I saw it actually happen. And then the more it continued to happen. And then the times that he let it happen and then said, okay, I think now it's time for you to not do that anymore. That, but that didn't happen in the first year. It didn't even happen in the second year, so to speak. We were well into our relationship before he started saying, okay, I think it's time out for this. And justifiably so. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think it's these things that if you're coming out or if you're going through widowhood or even if you're leaving a career, and going to do something that you want to do, one of the greatest gifts you can do for yourself is to leave room for what you need to in the healthy way from your past. But don't let anybody else tell you you fucking have to walk away from it because they think you need to walk away from it until you're ready to walk away from it the way you need to. Yeah, and, and there are just some things you can't walk away from. I can't walk away from a 14-year relationship where we didn't um, divorce. I can't walk away from a man who helped me create two of the most incredible human beings I've ever met. So, so there's, there's no walking away from that. There's legitimately like you, you can't walk away from your ex-wife. You share, you have children with her, mm -hmm. you know, like you can't do that. Like you, you just can't do that. So it's like, instead I had to find somebody and, and he, he's interesting because I kept saying I wanted a guy who was into sports like I was. Cause I was, I fell in love with sports because of James and I didn't want to be a football widow. And that was something we shared together. This man I've, I've fallen in love with has no clue about any sports at all. It's hilarious. Uh, it's, it's almost comical. Uh, it's, there have been times where he's actually stepped over the line and made too fun of sports. And I'm like, okay, you got to back off. Or there was one time um, earlier this year, it was during the um, ACC tournament um, championship, and we went to Buffalo Wild Wings for dinner, and it was a huge trigger for me. And, and we had to go because I was like, I can't do that. I remember he arranged um, to go see this light display in our local area. And halfway through it, I'm sobbing. And he goes, James took you here, didn't it? And I didn't want to tell him because it was really romantic and sweet. And he said, he goes, it's okay. And he held my hand as I cried. This man has held me as I've cried over another man. Mm -hmm. That is real strength. That's a real stand-up well, person. It's not even not only real strength. We brought up the whole intimacy thing. That's real intimacy too. Yeah. Being intimate enough to go, okay, I know right now what I'm sharing is a piece of her with somebody else but i'm intimately okay with myself and knowing it has nothing to do with me there is no threat 
I mean, especially in this case, there is no threat. Well, well that's what he was said. He was honest and he said, look, if, if James were still alive and you guys were divorced and doing this, that would be different. And I understand that. Um, but this is completely, you know, there's no threat there because it's not like the movie Ghost is realistic. You know, he's not coming back and, and possessing Whoopi Goldberg's body. You know, it's not going to happen. So, and if it well, does... I know, be- I know Ramona well enough. If, if he was coming back, she wouldn't want him possessing Whoopi Goldberg's body. She'd be going... Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. I need Ryan Reynolds to play that part or somebody that's really hot to like go for it because yeah, really would be the way it would have to go down at this point. I'd probably yell at him for leaving me a big ass mess because mm-hmm. his best friend and the godfather of our kids died six months before wow. from pancreatic cancer. So we got that double whammy. So that also really, really sucked. And I think though, by that happening, it helped my sister-in-law and myself and my mother-in-law see because that family fought a lot at the end and we saw what not to do. So there was some blessing in that terrible tragedy too. But, you know, my biggest thing, but even while I was dating Evan, I didn't tell anybody really about it other than those very, very close to me. And I kind of hid away for a long time because all of a sudden the first year came about, the anniversary came about, and I was invited to speak at a podcast conference in Orlando and they wanted me to do a big speech because the day that he died was the day I was supposed to fly down to that conference the year before. So they wanted me to come back kind of this big victory thing. And I made this great speech and the kids were there and I brought them up and I said, look at all these people, they prayed for you. And you know, everybody loved it. I get back and it was like the world, this, the bottom fell out because the numbness had gone away and the reality of, Oh fuck, this is my real life. He's really not coming back. I am forever going to have to worry about daddy issues with both my children. And I kept, and it was also little things, Rick, like, um, the first summer he died before I met Evan, I took a massive road trip with them to Atlanta to visit my friend Tim and, and just, just with the three of us had to figure out how to be together. And I kept wanting to tell people who kept looking at just the three of us that my husband didn't leave me. I kept wanting to tell that to people. Like, you know, I didn't mess this up the way most people do. Like he was taken from me. He was taken from us. He didn't abandon us. You know, I didn't want them judging. They probably weren't. They, it was, they were probably, Oh, it's a mom out with her kids. Right. You know? And you know, it's so interesting that you bring that up because it's a, it's a piece of the puzzle that happens in so many people's lives that part of it is what we conjecture in our own head. But then other times it's not. It's exactly, you can see what people are thinking by just the way they look at you, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what was, I mean, I know, gosh, we could go forever here, but I know there was this moment, I'm not sure it even was a moment, but finally you got to a place where you're just like, okay, I cannot do this any longer. I have to be, I I need to come clean. Um, Actually, it was, it was a moment. Patton Oswald, whose wife had passed away a month after James's. Um, who's a brilliant comedian and he's actually from my local area. Um, he announced he was engaged and I looked at that and I looked at the support he got and I said, you know what? This is so stupid. I am in love with this man here on earth and I'm in love with this man that I believe is in heaven. Why should I celebrate both? And I think and- what you said is so important. It's love. Love. I know this could sound corny and it's going to be one of those corny statements. Love is <laughs> everything. It really does. And so I saw that if he could be brave, but I knew people, and he even said he knew people were judging him. Um, you know, his Annihilation um, special on Netflix, I've only seen it once, and that was all I probably could see in the second half is all about him and his wife and, you know, the grieving and dealing with the daughter. And I'm sobbing through all of it because it was like, oh God, someone gets it. Someone freaking gets it. And then reading um, Cheryl Sandberg's beautiful book, Option B, and finding that support community also helped. But it was really him saying, I'm getting married to this woman because I love her. Because when you've been through something like I've been through, you know, you, you can't waste time. 
because you're not promised. I'm not promised the next second of my life, let alone the next decade. Nor can you not only not waste time, you just appreciate so much of uh, this guy. I'm going to sound so trite. You appreciate the littlest things. Oh my God. I'm so glad you said that. So this year, the first major holiday I had to deal with after James's death was Easter. And that was something I, I was in a target and uh, my lunch break. And I picked up the phone to try to call him to say, him pick up Easter baskets. And I, and it dawned on me, Oh wait, I, I don't have to call him. I can just pick him up. This year, Evan and I went together to do the Easter baskets for the kids and because I wanted him to do that because it was important to me. And I told him the little story. I said, thank you. He goes, why? He goes, you've given me something back that I didn't think I would get again. And that's the joy of sharing this with somebody where you're planning a surprise for your children. And it's such a small thing that I never cared about before. Mm -hmm. And I now realize how precious it is and doing the Easter egg hunt and, you know, filling the baskets and picking out things that we know that they would love. And, you know, yes, it had sugar and, and right. artificial dyes. I didn't care because <laughs> you know, it's yeah, Easter. I'm glad you shared that because it just stirred up something for me that um, the little things are not necessarily just the things you're going to remember from the past. It's the stuff that now becomes something of the present. And Easter is one of those that just happened between me. And me. Well, it happened everywhere, but our kids are 19 and 23. Mm -hmm. and my husband has been with, we've been together going on 17 years. The girls, my youngest was 18 months old. The oldest was five and a half when we got together. So we've kind of done the Easter basket. We've done all of this stuff. And this is the first year that we, I don't believe we've not had them together on an Easter and they're older. And I remember him saying, I said, Hey, I got this stuff. I sent, you know, our oldest one, some stuff in the mail. And then I got this stuff for our youngest one. Cause we live in the same town where she's going to college. And he goes, Oh, we got rid of the Easter baskets because we just moved. Oh, and I kind of like blew it off, but I, re I realized that was something really important to him. Not that we got rid of him because we, we, we both agreed on stuff we were getting rid of, but it was one of those moments. Yeah. You know, and it's those sort of things too, that you realize, okay, now we're going to re-engineer. We're going to bring new things into being. And I said, well, I guess we'll enjoy that when it's time to be grandpa's. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, so it's just and interesting things that start to show up in life that move you forward. Yeah. And, and one thing I will say too, is that I, I grew up, my parents divorced when I was in middle school. And so I have amazing step parents. And what I've learned is there are never such a thing as too many people loving a child. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing. So the fact that you had this incredible man and has your ex-wife um, remarried or met somebody fantastic or hopefully. So, you know what I mean? Like there's no, there's, there's no such thing as too many grownups taking care of children. There's just no such thing. So that's why, and, and Evan was a huge part of their life, a huge part of their healing because he, they got some of those dad things that moms just can't do. There, there's some things moms just can't do. I, I know there are lots of moms out there, but there's something about a dad and some of the goofiness they do and the stupid dad jokes. And, and he fills all those roles very well. And geeky things like, um, like just recently him and Anderson went to go see Ready Player One because Addison and I were like, we have no desire to see that. So it's so nice to have a, a guy and, and his values are the similar and that sort of thing and so when I, I came out it, it was it was I had nothing but but happiness and joy 
because I had excommunicated all the people who, who were negative at the beginning, who were like, we're tired of the sad widow act, but she's dating too soon. They legitimately said both those things at the same time. And I asked them, I was like, well, what do you want me to be? Right. You tell what me because, because right now I can't do anything. I'm either a whore or right. I'm sad widow. What, what would you like? Right. You know, because trust me, I, I bounce around that. But you know, even with the steady relationship, I think the steady relationship, Rick, forced me to actually grieve my husband because I could no longer escape to a different guy. And that, that the thrill of the flirt, the thrill of, ooh, who's on Tinder, you know, who's on OkCupid, that sort of thing. That was no longer an option. And it forced me to kind of really investigate my own um, failures in the marriage, what I was responsible for, and then to forgive James for what he, he was responsible for. And it's just been recently that I've been able to hit major milestones. Um, you know, we had the second anniversary, which was good because the kids had an improv performance and my mother and sister-in-law came and we had pizza afterwards. So that was great. Um, and, but something major happened um, New Year's Eve. I, I think we should probably tell the audience some happy, happy. I think so. Yeah. So um, Evan proposed to me in that same theater that um, we had our first date in on stage in front of like a hundred of our friends and it's on videotape. In fact, Rick, if you want, I will send you um, the clips and maybe you can put in the show notes for them because it, because he did really good, Um, (laughs) you know, and he, it it was really romantic and he got an ethically sourced ring, which is important to me. No, no children died for a blood, no blood diamonds. And, um, but even planning the wedding, I was still holding back. Because I didn't want James's family to think that I was leaving them behind. And finally, it was at um, Anderson's first community. He celebrated that this year. And Evan was there. And um, where my husband's ashes are interned is at our church. And so I was there with my mother-in-law. And she said, look, his body couldn't keep up with, with who he was. He was a six foot seven man. He was just a giant man. And she said, you know, you honor him by raising the grand, my grandchildren the way you are. And then my sister-in-law said something so beautiful um, right uh, on his um, birthday, on James's birthday. Um, she said to me, she goes, you know, when people ask me, about Evan, how I feel, she goes, I wish I could say bad things. But she goes, if I could pick a guy to be their stepdad, it would be him. And them to do that, the grace that they have shown. He's just remarkable, and he's just a testament to, again, love, that they love me, and they love the children that we have, and they love James, but they love me, and they love James enough to see that the person he loved is happy. So, um, and, and then other major milestones, like yesterday was our, would have been our um, 12th wedding anniversary, and on that day, because it was the only day I could do it with my mom and my daughter and my best friend, we went and I picked up my wedding dress. And at first I was really feeling guilty. Like, how could I do this on this day? But then I reminded myself, I wore a wedding dress to promise to love and honor this man till death to his part. And I did that. And so my therapist calls it reclaiming different things, milestones. Like when you kind of hit these milestones that you're starting to, you never recover from it, but you just get stronger. And so we did pick out the dress and it was under budget. Yay. Um, and just little things like that. So I can start. And I actually posted on social media um, that I actually shared it with people so people could see. And like his distant cousins and his aunts and uncles were saying, congratulations. We're really excited for you. Like, that's amazing. And I think that's, you know, that's the piece. I hate it when I say I think that. This is my, my, my little feel words. But sure. when you can see those things come to pass. 
it kind of lets all the bullshit go away because now, you know, uh, people have heard me talk about this numerous times. And even this weekend, my mom said something to me that I was just like, okay, we are continuing to move ahead. And she said, you know, you know, I'm not going to get deep into politics here, but she goes, I get so frustrated watching the news because what's happening right now is just so not right with everything against, you know, racism and, and the LGBTQ community 10 years ago. Oh, I would have never heard my mother even say LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. But those moments are the moments when you realize, okay, yes, I've gone through the chaos. I've gone through the hell. I've gone to the depths of the darkness and back out. And I never thought I was going to get there. Those are the moments that you know what you went through is really, truly worth it and has made you who you're meant to be. Yeah, I mean, and it's still like the day before um, the the wedding anniversary and the dress shopping. I had a moment where I was sobbing, and my mother was like, "Okay, you." And I go, "I feel guilty. I shouldn't have picked this day." And she goes, "No, you you pick the day. You take back this day. You be happy on this day. This is exciting. I'm excited for you." we're all excited for you. And that's why, you know, for a second marriage, if it were just me and Evan, I would just get married and be done with it. But we're having like the biggest wedding ever, even bigger than my first one. Because the last time the kids saw that many people, it was their dad's funeral. So I'm like, I want them to see. And, and for a lot of reasons, and I know it's not true, but this is a lot of people's happily ever after because I had so many people behind me, like so, so many, Rick. Um, in the podcast community, total strangers, um, old coworkers. I mean, just... It, it was amazing, you know, in your, and that's the one thing, like, if you're ever faced with like a really dark situation, you know, who's really behind you. And so for me to go out there and find love again, and, and it's a huge, like whenever a widow or widower or even a divorced person or anybody who's been hurt by love steps out and says to a community, this is the person I'm choosing to live my life with. Yeah we should celebrate them and we should say congratulations for being so brave because it is scary. Cause I know how this ends, you know, unlike a lot of people are like, Oh, it's so romantic. No, I know how this ends. Either one of us walks away or one of us dies. That's how these things end. So, you know, and I've been through it and it's awful. So, you, you know, that's why I, I just, again, I warn people, listen to my story, but you know, just know that the fictionalized, examples of grief that you've seen those movies where the dude leaves out letters forever or comes back as a ghost or whatever it's nonsense instead grief is really i love this quote it's, it's the price we pay for love and when you've loved somebody so much it hurts when they're ripped from you but when we find somebody who can never replace that person no one will ever replace james rice in my life but he can be, I, the heart grows, Rick. It grows. It, the, you know, the hole in my heart that is James size will never fill. Instead, the heart grew and it accommodates Evan and it accommodates my new family. And it still allows my past family to come in. And I, I'm very grateful that, you know, I, I'm in a position where I am, where I get to be in love again and get to register for gifts again and get to wear the poofy dress again and be super super excited and happy about it as I should be. So that's me honestly coming out of the closet is me basically saying that I give myself permission to be authentically happy and have authentic joy that I didn't think I would ever have again. And I do. And it's so incredible that I just can't 
like I'm probably like the savviest person lately, but it's just exciting. And it's just, we're, we're finishing up redoing the house he lives in because the kitchen was awful. Uh, so <laughs> I knocked down walls, Rick. Oh my gosh. I turned this poor man's life upside down, but, but he's totally like smitten and I'm smitten still. But that's what it's all about is when you can say the things that you just said and you can feel the emotion and you can step into your truth that you know everything's okay and everything is good. Everything is really good right now. Mm -hmm. And when we know everything is really good right now, it's just building up the bank account for when everything isn't good but we always get through. And I have to say, I'm so, so, so proud that the universe brought us together. And Mark Asquith. We always have to thank <laughs> yeah, Mark, Mark Asquith. Asquith for sure. <laughs> but um, so for those who don't know who Mark is, Mark is, um, he's part of uh, podcast websites and he is one of my mentors. He works with um, Ramona and he was the one who like, kind of pushed this together. But um, it had been on my mind for a while and I just didn't know if, you know, I didn't want to be one of those people. Oh, let's sensationalize this because that's not what I do. I don't. That's it, not how I it, it's it's interesting. Right after everything happened, that was the most interview request I've ever had. Was people asking, and I only did. I've only done really, I think three talks now. This show, um, Bruce Langford, who does um, a mindfulness podcast, and he wanted to talk about that, and he was so gentle and kind with me that I was like, sure. And then there was another one. It's called Her Mothering Matters, and she wanted to know how I was doing financially afterwards and i thought that was a really important subject because again th these are important things to know but anybody else i was like nope <laughs> nope my story is not one that i i, I didn't want to be known in podcasting as the widow yeah. um and that's why i yeah. really thought this was the perfect segue to do it in because it is about living a life uncloseted and whatever that closet is like that closet is about i'm starting to date that closet isn't Yes, there's the widow closet, but that closet needs to come out too. You you need to step out of that closet, not going to forget it. I mean, I will never forget that I was married once already. I can't forget that. Mm -hmm. will, that closet will never go away. And these are the stories that to me help people go, okay, I can do this too. Yeah. Whatever your closet is, you can do this too. So thank you for being so giving and sharing and just being Ramona. Well, thank you. And thank you for shows like this because, um, you know, your last little bit that you just said, something my mother said legitimately as we were leaving the hospital he, when he died, she made me look at her before the elevator came and she looked directly in my eyes and she said, Ramona, repeat after me, I'm not alone. And, and for two years now, she has said that. So I'm telling all the people listening, for those of you who are still struggling to get out of your closets, who, for any issues, you're not alone. You're really not, uh, you know, and for many, many months when I couldn't sleep, podcasts like this were my company. So, you know, just know you're not alone. I promise you there are people who understand, who, who think that they understand, um, who can be very empathetic to how you're feeling because they've had a similar experience. Absolutely. I think that's a great place to wrap it up. So. Thanks again, girlfriend, for being you and being who you are in the world and shining your light and um, everything. So thanks. Yes.
No, thank you for having me. I love this show. We love having you. I'm going to plug podcast websites for a minute. We love having you as one of our members. Um, I'm not, we're not supposed to play favorites. Um, I definitely think you're a favorite, not only amongst Mark and myself, but also the rest of the team. So, you know, thank you for being just amazing podcaster and just what you're doing is important, Rick. I mean, people assume that just because it's 2018 that there's still not people fighting what they think. I mean, listen to me, a closet built around me. <laughs> I didn't want it to, you know, so just, you never know what people are going through guys. So just be kind to one another. Absolutely. And we're going to wrap it up right there. So we will see you all and hear you all listening to us in just a few more days. All right, there you have it. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end, but that's okay. We're going to be back in just a couple of days sharing more stories, tips, tricks, and wisdom for helping you live your life uncloseted. And you know what? You can share it too. Just take a few moments if you like and if you believe in this podcast and share it with someone you know today. Share it from your phone, go share it on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you are. Maybe even give us a rating review because you know what? It's all about the planet living their life uncloseted. I'm Rick Clemens, host of the show and the guy who helps you make those big, bold moves. And I hope you never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted. Catch you real soon. Take care, everyone.